The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Happy Father's Day, you daddy boys. We can survive. Hey, I can change a diaper, then go eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, Hey, that's a man right there. That's my dad. So... Happy Father's Day. We've got a gift for all you men on the way out because some of y'all, uh, we don't want you to be fathers yet, but someday, if that's what God's calling to, you're going to need something to help you, so we got something on the way out. Um, so um, we can answer the question this morning, got a light? Yeah. Anyway, happy Father's Day. You'll get that. Happy Father's Day. We're so glad you're here. Um, I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, we're so grateful that you're here. If you would, fill out one of those guest cards that's in your worship guide, and you can put that in the giving station on your way out. And um, that just gives us some information about you so we can get some information about the church uh, to you because I know that um, it's important for you to be engaged in church, not just not just show up or not just claim a church home, but engage with it, man. This, this is family, and so let it, let it be family. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 today. We're going to finish up chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible, uh, go there. If you don't own one, we've got some on the ends of the rows, or uh, you can find it on your Uversion smart device. Uh, Uversion is a free app. Meet me there. So we've seen, uh, we've seen through the book of Acts just kind of a, a linear from the beginning, you have Jesus' resurrection. He spends time with the, the disciples, and then he ascends. And before he ascends back to heaven, he says, go into to Jerusalem and wait. And then the power of the Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we see is, is this group of people that are following Jesus Their lives are transformed by their time with him. He pours out the power of his spirit on them, and then they go out and in turn begin to change the world. And the gospel begins to change the world, the hearts and the lives of people that they encounter, people they engage with. And we see this this start to happen. The interesting thing is it starts with the, the Jewish nation first, the people who are Jews. Acts 2, when that the day of Pentecost, you've got millions of people coming into Jerusalem. But it says God-fearing Jews from every nation came into Jerusalem. Then Peter gets up and shares who Jesus is. He means just straight up, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, and this is what, what he's calling you to do. Thousands of lives are changed that day. And then the the church starts to form. The gospel starts to take root. It ignites and starts to spread throughout the region. Jesus was talking about Jerusalem first, then Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Then we see an event um, that we're going to touch on again today. It's Stephen's death. Uh, Stephen was the first martyr in the church. He was stoned for preaching the gospel. And then the gospel spreads out, goes into Samaria, Samaria is partly Jewish, so you're still dealing with the nation and the people of the Jews. And then last week we saw that Peter actually engaged the Gentiles, someone who was not a Jew and kind of who the Jews considered outside the grace of God. The interesting note in that is Cornelius sought Peter out. What we're going to see today is people actively engaging for really the first time, the church actively engaging people with the gospel to people who are not Jewish. The gospel is this. The gospel is the good news. The good news is this, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He was born. 
He lived a perfect life. And he walked the road to Calvary. He hung on a cross. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. In the tomb, he defeated hell and then stepped out of the tomb on the third day, which we celebrate as Easter Sunday. The good news in that is we have a God who's not distant, but he is willing to leave all of the glory, all of the splendor of heaven to wrap himself in flesh so that we could have a reconciled relationship with him that we have a father that we can truly celebrate on Father's Day that has moved heaven and earth for us to be in a relationship with him. That's good news. And so the people start to take this good news out to people who are considered outside of the grace of God. What you have here is this beautiful process It is disciples. Jesus called these men who we call disciples. They later become apostles. But disciples are called for one reason. Disciples are called so that they follow their master and they can imitate and emulate. They do what their master does. They walk in his footsteps. They pick up the mission after he is finished. When Jesus looked into the face of these men and said, come follow me, He's calling them to do what he does, to live in a way that reflects him so that people who follow the master, in this case, people who follow Jesus, they see Jesus in the disciples. So we see the disciples who are now doing the work of the gospel. It's this gospel advance. The mission of the gospel is going forward. And it picks up, Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit descends, and the disciples go out and start transforming the world. And we see that process. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And we have to understand that our mission as disciples, as followers of Jesus is to go out and make disciples. That's the great commission. You see, before Jesus said in Acts 1.8, go into the world, or uh, uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Before he said that, he gave this thing we know as the great commission. Um, it's, it's the great charge to the church. You can find it in Matthew 28, when he says, go into all the world, and you preach the gospel, you teach them to obey my commands. And he says in some translations, you go and you make disciples. How do we make disciples? We have to be a disciple. How do we be a disciple? It's a life transformed by the message of Jesus. And so we start to see this gospel missions advance and, and go forward. Let's pick up Acts chapter 11, verse 19. This is the church in Antioch. Now, those who had been in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. What we have to understand is there's a gospel mission, and we're starting through the book of Acts to see the gospel advance. And in this mission, in this advancement of the gospel, 
we see here in verse 21 that God's hand is in the mission. Now, what does all this mean? You've got to start backtracking a little bit to understand what this means. Because we pick it up and we find out that people have been scattered because of persecution. And they reached Antioch. They reached these towns. They found their Jewish neighborhoods and they conglomerated and they started telling people about Jesus, the good news, and then it started to spread out. They started looking at the Greeks. Why were they in Antioch? Because of Stephen. What happened to Stephen? Stephen was stoned. He was the first martyr of the church. What you have happening in the book of Acts, when the disciples start sharing the gospel, it gets busy. And then the widows get upset because you're not feeding the widows. So they elect some men. They come together. They appoint and elect some men to help feed the widows. Stephen is serving food to widows. But Stephen doesn't see it as serving food to widows. He sees it as giving God glory through what he does. Let let me help you understand something with this gospel mission and making disciples. We think it's simply just preaching at the world. We think it's simply going and and engaging with people on a level that we see them as a transaction. This happens in the church. This happens in the business world too. When I go to Walmart, anywhere, Taco Bell, anywhere, when I am seen as a transaction instead of an interaction, that happens in the church too. I'm not going to tell you to go, go knock on your neighbor's door and say, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? That you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get the door shut in your face. You show up at my house with something like that, I, I'm going to invoke the greatest investment I've ever put in my house. It's a peephole. I hear the doorbell ring. Dog goes nuts. We, we settle him down. He's an, he's an attack dog. I mean, second. So we've got to be very careful. He's that kind of dog. And so I kind of calm him down, get him chained into his area, and I go to the door and I look to the people. I'm like, no. You know when somebody's knocking on your door to sell you something, they got the look and they're looking at their script and they're, they're doing all this. I'm like, <laughs> and I, this is the sick side of me. I like to just watch him. I'm like, <laughs> you think somebody's going to answer the door. So, but they're not, right? Right? Like when... when one of your kids or Heather goes, who's at the door? And you're like, shh. The other day I was, I had a woman moment in decorating sense. I, I was like, we ought to get a new front door with this pretty glass in it, Heather. And she goes, no. I go, why not? She goes, because then we can't play like we're not home. I was like, good point. You know, we need to put something else up. But you know, you can see it coming. People see that coming. If you if you come toting the Bible, like, I'm just here to tell you about Jesus. I care nothing about you, but I want you to know Jesus. People see that. You're looking at people through the lens of the gospel as a transaction. God created us for relationships, first with him and then with other people. And it's beautiful when this thing starts working in in harmony when our relationship with God is growing and thriving and our relationships with other people start growing and thriving. And what happens is those start intersecting. 
And then we're able as disciples to make disciples, not for notches on a spiritual belt, not for, for throwing treasure up to heaven, but for the purpose of fulfilling the, our mission of giving God glory in how we interact with him and the world around us. That's the process of making disciples. That's what Stephen was doing. Stephen wasn't just saying, hey, I'm here serving food to the widows. Stephen was giving God glory through the abilities and what God had called him to do. Think about this job. You're not just going to a job to make money. You're not trading dollars for days. God has placed you there to interact with the people in that world so that you can build relationships, so that disciples. And then Stephen, as he's doing this, gets noticed because people's lives are changed as a result of what Stephen's doing. Stephen ends up in trouble with the council. They give him a a trial that's really a, a joke. Stephen straight up shares the council and they take him outside the city and they stone him. Right after that stoning, the church is persecuted and there's scattering going on. It's believed that there's about 25,000 believers of Christ in Jerusalem at the time of Stephen's death. Thousands scattered. And God's hand was in that scattering. See, as a result of Stephen's death, when you backtrack it, so Stephen, Stephen's living out a relationship with Jesus. People can see Jesus in Stephen's life. He's killed for that. The church scatters. There's also one man standing at that execution overseeing it who can't shake this. It's Saul. We've gotten to know Saul over the last couple weeks. Saul ends up meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. Vision from heaven, blinding light. I mean, all the stuff that we pray for but we'll be scared to death to experience. And Saul's life is changed. That's his conversion. Depending on how you grew up, it's conversion, transformation, born again, regeneration. However, you had an experience with Jesus that was real, that that tangibly changed his life as a result of Stephen's death. And then another result is the gospel gets spread to Gentile lands. You see the Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Here's what I believe, because God's hand's in the mission, but it's suffering that caused all this to happen. I believe God will allow suffering for the gospel mission to advance. Just speak from my own perspective for a second. There's no way to soften it. It's idolatry, and one of the idols that I put in front of me is comfort. I love building comfort. I love having comfort around me. And that's one of the things that God continually calls me to die to. Let me help you with this. Comfort will kill you. Comfort will kill the gospel mission. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to develop character that's willing to follow Jesus. And when I get in those times when I'm comfortable, uh, God will use whatever means necessary to get me moving. 
That might mean turning up the heat. That might mean a little bit of trial. That might mean a little bit of persecution. That might mean a little bit of suffering or uncomfortable. However you want to term it, God's going to, he's going to say, Matt, I need you off your butt. I mean, the other day in Heather's car, she's got this awesome gadget in her car that's great in the wintertime. We call them seat heaters. Or we call them, what do we call them? Heat seaters. Heat seaters. Well, we're driving back from Fort Worth the other day, and it's hot. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, welcome to hot. We bypassed anything else and went straight to hot. Well, we get in the car, and I'm cranking the air, and I'm sweating. I cannot cool down. I'm like, and I'm getting, I'm, I'm thinking I'm about to have a heart attack. Heather's like, you can hang meat in here. She's closing her vents. It's all on me. I mean, and I'm like, we're, my core temperature's hitting critical, baby. I don't know if I'm going through menopause or something. <laughs> I might have to drive to the hospital. Something is not right with the system here. And I'm starting to check. And, and all I can think of is I got to get out of this car. I got to get out of the car. The car's killing me. And I look down and the heat seater's on. <laughs> on high. I turned it off, and I'm driving, kind of sitting up. Hey, God will turn the heat up to get your butt out of the seat, right? Now, God doesn't just use suffering for suffering. God doesn't abuse suffering. God allows it so that we'll move, so that, so that his purpose can go. But here's what suffering should produce. It should produce more worship because... As much as I like comfort, I, I, I'm also a great complainer, um, mostly to God, that when life gets tough, when, when it is tough, and I know, I, I know we've got people in our church that are in difficult, painful, tough situations, and when that happens, the result needs to be more worship, not, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why have you forsaken me? God, why don't you take care of this? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Think back to the process. We've got people in Antioch that that fled Jerusalem because of persecution. Very unlikely that God's gonna just put a, put a dream in their heart, say, hey, I know Jerusalem's comfortable and you just got this new church and life seems to be going great. You're living in community with other believers and it's just good. You're growing. It's all good. How about moving to Antioch? Oh, you'd love it. It's 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's got a great Jewish neighborhood. Now, it's a very vile city, and you're not going to be able to find a church easily in the city because the main temple that they used to worship is for a woman named, or a goddess named Daphne, and they just have some crazy, strange, vile worship practices. You can Google that. I'm sure Wikipedia will catch you up on that, but chances are no. How many of us? But God, I just found a church. But God, I just got these friends. But God, I just got this job. But God, I just got whatever. And through persecution, God says, I'm moving you. God's hand is in the persecution. God's hand is in the suffering. God's hand is in the purpose. It's in the mission of getting the gospel to the world. And so you've got people engaging in Antioch. And then you've got people starting to reach out. They start in their neighborhood because, you know, these Jews would have moved into a Jewish neighborhood. So they start reaching out to people in their own block. And then all of a sudden, maybe the light bulb connects. One thing I love as a father is watching your kids' light bulbs come on. You know, those light bulb moments 
where you're just like, you just watch your kid go light bulb, and it, you're like, you just got it. Two dots just connected. It's awesome. Think about the Christians that, that, that moved into Antioch, and they're thinking, man, this city's awful. I mean, our neighborhood, we've got it to a point where we're, we're sharing Jesus, but look at how the city is. Maybe they started connecting dots going, wait a second, Jesus saved us. Jesus loved us enough that he, he wants a relationship with us, that he wants to restore that. And in my brokenness, because these were Jewish people, they knew their history. If you don't know the Jewish history, you can read the Old Testament, and I can give it to you in a nutshell. They please God for a while. They don't please God. Things get really bad, really bad. They please God for a while. It's just like a bad relationship, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they're like, well, if God loved us enough to, to bring that reconciliation and wants to, to engage in a relationship, and Jesus is the way for us to have that restored relationship, maybe that's not just for us because there's people that have misguided worship. That I see people that I, that I do business with in the town and, and the Greeks that live around me. Maybe they need Jesus too. Perhaps it could be that God loves them enough. Maybe what we heard in Jerusalem about, about Jesus saying, hey, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and that he desires for all people to come to repentance. Maybe that's for them. So they start sharing it. And they didn't approach them as, interact, as, as transactions. It was interactions. So what does that mean? They got to get messy. They have to talk to someone that is considered outside of grace. They have to engage with people who believe differently. They start as disciples going to make disciples. It's a beautiful process that happens. It says that they, many believed and turned to the Lord. It's really, really translated in believing they turned to the Lord. You see, they start to see Jesus and they see grace for what grace really is. It's life-changing. It's transforming. It has power to change us from the inside out. Not behavioral modification from the outside in, but true transformation inside. That in believing, God gives us the belief, we turn to the Lord. And we begin to see things differently. God's hand was upon it. God's hands in the suffering, God's hands in the joy, God's hands in the easy stuff, it's in the difficult stuff, it's in the heat, it's in the fire, whatever it is, whatever situation, God's hand is in your life. Let's go on. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So you're seeing it happen again. What's going on is God's hand is in the mission, and then God has faithful people in the mission. See, God's hand moved all these people up to Antioch. They start sharing the gospel, and then, then God's like, okay, I just don't want baby Christians. Part of the process is maturity. I mean, let me give you two big church words. There's, there's the, the transformation, that's the regeneration. We also, in, in, in churchy world, you would call it justification. So when we, we believe in the Lord, when we put that faith in Jesus, we become justified before God. A great way to remember that is God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. 
So justified before God. We have access to God as our Father. The sin that separates us, that veil is torn, we have access. The next part, it's called sanctification. Best way to say this is maturity. God doesn't want a bunch of babies. He wants mature Christians because he calls us to follow him so that we can do what he does, so that we can take up this mission. So that's the maturing process. And God is so amazing in how he works this process. You see, the church in Jerusalem, we met them last week, right, when they were criticizing Peter. Well, they get word of all this stuff going on in Antioch, and they're like, we need to send somebody. They send Barnabas. Barnabas, is, is, his name is, means son of encouragement. And he walks in, he greets the people in the city, and it says that he's encouraged by what he sees. What does he see? Evidence of the grace of God. We see in Acts that that some of that evidence happens by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we see people speaking in other tongues. That's not always the case. You can't formulaically say God does that every time. Here we see that there's evidence of the grace of God. So Barnabas is a man full of grace that has the ability to recognize grace in other people. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit, able to see the Holy Spirit in other people. And he's encouraged because he's seeing true life change happening. Great thing about Barnabas, he was from Cyrene, not far from there. He knew the customs. He knew what the city was like. And he's encouraged. And he starts encouraging the believers there to keep living this out. Don't let this decision you made to follow Jesus be a one-time thing and just say, well, that's done. Now I can go back to this. Don't let this decision for Jesus be something you carry in. Well, Jesus is pretty all right with me, but I really like the temple worship over here, so I'm going to combine these two. He's encouraging the, the people. Keep living this life that God's created you, that he's changed you to have. It's a beautiful process of discipleship. And then the church still grows through that encouragement. Because Barnabas is there. He's a mature believer. He comes in and engages with the church. And I believe mature believers should engage, encourage, and help other believers. It's healthy for churches to have mature believers I don't want to call them immature, but maturing believers, we'll say that. And then people who don't even know if they believe in Jesus or not. Yeah, that's a healthy balance in a church. And it takes us engaging. You see, we tend to think that um, new Christian, let, let me just help you. Here's a way to illustrate this. When you were in high school, what did you think of junior high kids? They're punks. Sorry. When you were in college, what did you think of high school kids? Punks. When you got out of college and you looked at kids in college, because no matter how old you get and whatever that next step is behind you, they're still kids because I got time on you, man. So what do you look at people in college? Punks. When you get married and you look at your single friends, what do you say? Punks. When you have kids and you look at your married friends that don't have kids, what do you say? Lucky. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a shift that happens, okay? If you're, if you're in that phase of life where some of your friends uh, don't have kids and some are having kids, it's a weird 
place of life. You know, Heather and I were there. People call us 9 o'clock. Hey, you want to go get dinner? Yes, but no. I'm going to bed. I've got kids in bed. I wonder if they'll be all right. (laughs) We always tend to look at where we just came from as the punks. Don't do that in faith. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, we we look at at people whose lives are transformed by the gospel, and we can't say punk. We say, man, God's brought them. Let's engage. And Barnabas does that. He doesn't walk through the city going, you young punk Christians. He engages. He's encouraged because he sees evidence of the grace of God. The church grows so much. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul's at home. Tarsus is his home. Saul, after his conversion, experiences persecution. And that persecution moves him back home to Tarsus for a little bit of a break. Barnabas is like, hey, God gave Saul a commission to preach to the Gentiles. I'm engaging that boy now. So he goes and finds Saul. Hey, Saul, you remember what God called you to do? Yep, come on, giddy up. It's time to start it. So he brings Saul back to Antioch. And when he found him, he brings him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So the church continues to grow. It's disciples making disciples. What's the purpose of this? To give God glory. We bring God glory by life change. When I can invest my changed life into someone else's life change, that brings God glory. And so Saul and Barnabas engage in this process. Then it says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Um, we, We use Christian as a word of demographic in our society right now. It was first used as a derogatory term. It was a term of derision. It wasn't made up by the church. It wasn't the church getting together going, okay, so what are we going to be called? You know, I, I, I played in bands when I was a teenager and when I was younger, when I was a punk. And we'd always, the first band meeting, okay, what's our name? Who are we? No, the church didn't get together and go, oh, we're following this guy named Jesus. What do we call ourselves? The Jesusites, the, you know, because you got the Jebusites, the Parasite, I don't know, all kind of sites. I guess everything ended with sites. And they're like, we don't want something with sites because that's too mainstream because the www.sites.com doesn't work. What are we going to be called? No, they weren't doing this. They were focused on being disciples, following Jesus, looking like Jesus, engaging the culture around them like Jesus, and being known for Jesus. And so the people outside of the church looked at him like, you're a Christian. Christian meant that I-E-N meant to be of the party. So like, you're of the party of Christ. And it also means little Christ. So you have people outside going, oh, there's the little Christ walking around. Now, that was a term of derision from outside the church. Let me tell you, from inside the church, there's encouragement in that because people who didn't know Jesus were seeing enough of Jesus in people to say, you look like Jesus. That's a challenging question. That's a challenging predicament. Are the people in your your life that you do life with and the circles around you, do they see enough of Jesus in you to call you a Christian? You're not born a Christian. 
if you're Texan, you're Texan. If you're American, you're American. If you're whatever, you're whatever. You are not automatically a Christian. You are a Christian when you experience a life-changing transformation, when the gospel takes root in your life. If when that faith that God gives you, you return back to him and say, all of this is for Jesus. Jesus, I lay everything I am at your feet. You be the Lord of my life. Let me look like you. Let me follow you. Let me do what you do. Let the world around me, when they see me, they don't see Matt, they see Jesus. Man, that's tough. Are we faithful people in the mission that God has in front of us? Because the beauty of it is God has a plan for the mission. He's had a plan for the mission. And I love how he chooses to work this plan. Let me read it to you. Here's what happens. So you've got new Christians in Antioch. Then what happens during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. Now that down from Jerusalem is funny because it's 300 miles north, but they came down in elevation. That's like in our context, be like, hey, I'm going down to Denton. No, you're not. You're going up to Denton. It's north. Go up, right? That's just a pet peeve of mine. That's one of those things like, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, during that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. But it's true in this context. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So persecution gets them to Antioch. The gospel takes root, lives are changed, and then we see trouble on the horizon again. God has a plan. God's had a plan from the beginning. God can use suffering to get his will done. God can use whatever means necessary to get his will done. The plan is for the gospel to continue to advance to the world. Now, we start reading this and going, well, why would God, the church is enjoying all this success. God, what are you doing here? I don't know if you've ever prayed that. God, what are you doing here? I have. I prayed often. God, what are you doing here? Look at the beautiful partnership that's going on. Because you see, God could snap his fingers and suffering disappears. God could snap his fingers and, and people could be healed. God could... He doesn't even have to snap his fingers. He doesn't even have to think about snapping his fingers. And the people on our prayer list that we're praying for the, the physical healing that they need, they would be healed. The people on our prayer list that you're submitting, that we're praying for God to save them, for God's loving and grace and the gospel to take root in their life. We're praying for those people. God could just, it's done. God chooses to work through us. He called us to follow him as disciples, and he's going to work through his disciples. We can't stop suffering from happening all the time. I mean, this man stood up. He was a prophet. The the miracle that we, in this passage, is not that he was able to tell the future of what's getting ready to happen, but that you see a church step up to take care of the people who are affected by the suffering. What a beautiful church partnership, because this isn't now just the discipleship of, well, the older will mentor the younger, but now the younger blesses the older. Because this new church in Antioch hears there's going to be a famine. And they go, well, man, we can't stop the famine. 
but we can help them after it hits. So they take up a collection as each could do, and they sent it to the church in Judea. What a beautiful image of churches coming together to say, man, we hurt with you. I wish we could change it, but we're part of the body, and we're going to engage. Think about the last, what, six, eight weeks in our region, Texas and Oklahoma tornadoes. I can't figure out how to stop tornadoes. But what I can do is, as a pastor, say our church will engage the hurting after the suffering. You as a church have blessed churches in Oklahoma by your giving. You've blessed families. You've best blessed families within our church to bless families outside of our church that have lost everything. You see, God has people that can help And he connects those with people that need help. That's the beauty here. God had people in Antioch that needed the gospel through the suffering and death of Stephen. He gets them to Antioch. The gospel takes root, and then now they're they're helping other churches. It's beautiful. That's the gospel mission advancing. And God's plan is for it to still to advance. He'll let us know when he's done with that plan. When God's done with you, you'll know it. You'll be the first to know it because you'll be looking at him face to face and the person who was standing beside you will be dialing 911. And then you'll know God's done with you and his plan for your life is complete. Until then, I'm going to pray. I'm going to take a line from the Lord's Prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because in heaven this is completed. In heaven, this is worked out. What God is calling us to do is walk it out faithfully and obediently to be men and women who will be obedient to the mission of the gospel to go wherever he calls us to go and do what he calls us to do and engage in people around us in relationships so that the gospel, so that we look like Jesus and they see Jesus in us, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose. We thank you that your will is perfect, it is pleasing, and you give us that ability that through living sacrifices we lay ourselves before you so that we can engage in your will. And so, Father, I I pray that your will, that as you see it in heaven is completed, you would give us the ability to walk it out in a way that gives you glory, that gives you honor, uh, that as we live out the life you've called us to live and you've created us to live, that the people around us can look at us and say, they look like a Jesus. They look like a little Christ. Father, let it be so that we walk out what you've worked out and that we continue to be faithful in this mission and the gospel advance. Forgive us if we've left people short of the gospel or if we've determined that people are outside of grace. But God, so transform us that we live lives that glorify you and that we as disciples follow you to make more disciples. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.